at Faith Community what we believe about baptism. Um, and then in a few minutes, we're going to actually have a baptism. I want to talk about why we would do what we do here and what the Bible has to say about baptism. And specifically, I want to talk about two things. Did I ever turn this? Yeah. I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about why we immerse, which is a fairly short conversation. But I want to talk about what the significance of baptism is and what it means. We usually use the Bible here on Sundays. Well, we always use the Bible here on Sundays. But I wanted to start today with the dictionary. This is not a religious book. Um, it's a secular dictionary. I didn't know there is a religious dictionary. I want to read you the dictionary definition of the Greek word that's translated baptism. The Greek word is baptizo. It's a Greek verb that never actually got translated. Uh, the Greek word actually made its way into the English text. And it's where we get the word baptize or baptism. But here's what the word means. It means, from the Greek, and this is from the Oxford Dictionary, to immerse or to dip. To immerse or to dip. That's as, that's as simple as the definition gets. That's what the word literally means. And here's how it was used. It was used um, to describe ships that sunk, that were immersed. It was used of people who were drowned. It was, and don't be concerned, because <laughs> we've taken all precautions today. <laughs> I just want those who are being baptized to totally relax for the next half hour. Yeah. Because they're not nervous enough, so I just don't want them to think about that possibility. So anyway, <laughs> it was figuratively, this term baptizo, was, it was used to describe a person who was head and shoulders in debt. It was used to describe dipping a cup into wine. It was used to talk about dyeing cloth, and this was a very common use of the word, actually, where you would take cloth, dip it into a dye, and leave it there until the dye adheres and saturates, and the cloth takes on the color of the dye to baptizo. The word baptize wasn't even an English word until the 17th century. Um, the translators of the King James Bible wanted to use the word dip because that was the most literal translation. Uh, when, it came, when they came to the word baptizo, they wanted to use the word dip. But King James himself, uh, being the Bible scholar that he was, intervened and demanded that they create a new word, making the point that the word dip wasn't distinguished enough. So for those of us who have our roots in a Baptist tradition, I would say that Baptists have a debt of gratitude to pay old King James because if it hadn't been for him, we would have been called dippers. You know, you would, have been, you would have been a member, a charter member, you know, of the first dipper church of whatever town, you know. So I think I agree with him. It is a little bit more distinguished. Um, baptizo had all kinds of uses, and it was consistently used up until New Testament times to talk about taking something and simply immersing it, dipping it in a liquid. The word was consistently used the way, that way all through ancient Greek, uh, uh, through ancient Greece, all the way up until New Testament times. That's when the word baptizo, uh, so that's what it means. And up until the time of Christ, it was just a common, everyday word. It had no religious or spiritual significance at all. Um, it meant to immerse, dip, or submerge something. But when the New Testament times rolled around, the Jewish community had begun to use this word to describe something that they did, a practice that they did, a practice that they had started. <coughs> it wasn't even something that God had you know, intended to be a part of the Jewish tradition. They had just kind of added it on because it's what they did. They added hundreds and hundreds of things on to what God's law was. But they, they added this practice years before, and, and, and it, it was in a religious context. They had a process that a non-Jewish person could go through in order to become a Jew. 
let's say you came to Jerusalem and you saw the Jewish worship and you believed that Yahweh was the one true God and you'd grown up in a pagan culture where you worshipped idols and you worshipped planets and you worshipped plants or whatever and you said to your Jewish friends, I'd like to become Jewish because is there any way I can convert to your way of believing and worshipping because it's what I believe. I've come to believe it. Can I officially convert? And there was a way to do that. And part of it, it's a very uh, involved process, but part of it included eating a certain kind of meal. You had to learn certain things about the law. You had to clean your house, I know. And there were all kinds of, of, of hoops that you had to jump through. And at the end of the process, you were baptizo. But no one baptized you. You baptized yourself. Basically, you would go down to the river with eyewitnesses and you would go or maybe go to a cistern or anywhere there was a lot of water. And at the end of the process, you would immerse yourself in water. And when you came back up, it was to symbolize that you were dying to your Gentile heritage and practices and beliefs and you were coming alive to your newfound faith in Judaism. So that's kind of where the practice started. So this idea of baptizing began to take on some religious um, significance just before the birth of Christ as the Jews began to implement this process. So then one day in Matthew chapter 3, something very unusual happened. Down by the Jordan River, there's this guy named John, and he's kind of a wild, strange kind of guy, and he's saying, repent, repent, make way for the Messiah, the promised Messiah we've been waiting generations for, he's coming, so get ready and repent. And you Jews, you think you're so close to God, but you're living in sin, you need to repent because the Messiah is coming. And people would gather and listen to this guy, and he would say things like, one is coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. You know, repent, 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 repair the way of the Lord. And people began to come under conviction, and they realized that they had indeed abandoned God, and they were Jewish by name, and they're Jewish by heritage, but they were not Jewish by practice. And they began to repent, and they would come to John, and John did something that historically had never been done before. John took people down into the water with him, and he held them in some capacity, and he dipped them. And people would say, he's baptizing them. He's immersing them. And they didn't know really what to say. They didn't know what to call it. They'd never never seen it done like this before. So they just used a common word, and they said, he's immersing them. He's dipping them, or he's, the word has made it into our English language, he's baptizing them. And they came to John and they said, I believe that what you're saying is true. I'm going, to, I'm going to identify and show allegiance to your teaching. I'm going to go public with my personal beliefs by allowing you, rather than doing what the Jews have always done and baptizing ourselves, I'm going to allow you to dip me, to immerse me, to baptize me in this water. And this went on and on and on with John until finally, since he was the only person doing this, he got a title. You know the title. They started calling him John the... John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. If you grew up in a Baptist tradition, he was John the Baptist. That's right. Otherwise, he was John the Baptizer, which is really what Scripture refers to him as. But you thought he was, you thought as a kid, you thought he was uh, from a particular denomination, didn't you? Yeah, and you're like, huh. Um, Not at all. They just never seen this done before, so he got a title, a title that described this practice that he had initiated. There's a Greek word for the word sprinkle. It's the word reino. And it's a very common word, but when it came to explaining and describing what this prophet John was doing, they didn't call him John the Rainer. And I'm not trying to make light of it, but they called him John the Baptizer because the word meant to immerse. All that to say this. 
The reason that we baptize by immersion is because that's what the word literally means. That, that's the practice that John the baptizer started, and that's what was modeled for us in the first century church. Interestingly enough, this little Greek word baptizo, <coughs> it's in the New Testament in places where it's not translated baptism as we know it. Most of the time, the word shows up in a translation. They just put it right in there in the Greek form. But there are places where baptizo shows up, and it's translated differently. Here's an example. In Luke chapter 11, and verse 37 says, this, it's referring to Jesus, it says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. That's what they did. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not wash before the meal, was surprised. And the word washed is the word baptizo. It could have said that he did not first ceremonially baptize before the meal. But by the time this text was translated from the Greek, the word baptizo had taken on new meaning. It had taken on a religious, spiritual meaning. And in this verse and in this context, the word baptizo simply meant to wash. There are a couple other passages like uh, Acts 8, uh, this is where Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and, and it says, he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away which is kind of a cool part of the story. But baptism, they went down into the water. Matthew 3 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. So for us, and it's not a point we're going to argue, but I just wanted to explain, it's as simple as this. The word baptizo means to immerse. That's what they did then, and we have the ability to do it now, so it's what we should do now. Which leads to two questions that you might have of me, depending on where you come from, what your church tradition is. You might be asking, well, if you're so smart, which you think you are, then why does this, and I do, then why, does, <laughs> then why does this entire church or denomination and all their scholars and all my church tradition, why do they all disagree with you, Todd? If you're so smart, Pastor Todd, and it's as simple as you say, then why in the belief system I grew up in, why do they christen babies and say that's enough? Are you telling me you're smarter than generations of theology scholars? I'm supposed to abandon hundreds of years of church teaching and church tradition because you've got a dictionary on stage? Hmm. Well, if I had the time and the inclination, I would love to debate it with you, but it's not in my nature, so I could probably... (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I'm going to go hide somewhere. And I thought you knew me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I could and I would love to debate this with you and explain to you why some churches sprinkle and why some churches sprinkle babies and why you might have been sprinkled when you were a baby and you say you were baptized even though you don't remember it and you didn't have anything to do with the decision to be baptized. I could debate on this and I'm pretty sure I'd win the debate, but you'd probably just get mad at me and then we wouldn't speak and so there's really no point in that because I love you too much. So here's what, uh, here's what you could do. Get the CD of this message. Take it to your pastor or priest or whoever, or the person who sprinkled you, or to your parents or whoever made the decision, your parents or your grandparents. Let them listen to it and then ask, what do you think about this? How crazy is this guy? Get the scoop. Get a little explanation for maybe why in your church tradition it's different. The answer really lies in what was happening in church history and in human history at the time when there was a tradition from immersing to sprinkling 
And actually, I'm not really going to get into that a whole lot. Um, it just, we believe that the scripture teaches immersion, so we immerse. Now, it could be argued that the, the move from immersion to sprinkling was as simple as a safety. As soon as humans began to understand a little bit about germs and bacteria and living things in our water that are not good for us, humans were hesitant to get into a pool of stagnant water. So um, it, it could be argued that that's right about the same time that some of these traditions changed. So, so the first question is, who do you think you are to argue with hundreds of years of church tradition the way I grew up? Um, I don't know. I've got a dictionary. The second question is, so the, this is the question that really matters. The second question you may have, if your tradition is different than what we're going to uh, witness today, is did my baptism count? Did mine even count then? If you were baptized uh, by sprinkling, or if you were sprinkled as a baby, or christened, or whatever terminology your church used, you might be wondering, did mine count? I think the answer to that question doesn't lie so much in the form or the mode as it does in the meaning. <clears throat> in other words, I don't think God's going to fall off his throne in shock if you got sprinkled instead of immersed, and God's going, come on, that didn't count. I just think God's bigger than that. If, if we were in the desert and I got half a canteen of water left and we've been talking all the way across the desert and you've decided to accept Christ as your Savior and you want to follow Him in obedience and you want to be baptized, what am I supposed to say? You're like, well, I can't baptize you because I've only got a little bit of water left. I could sprinkle you for now, but that won't really count. It won't really take. It's more temporary. So let's, talk, let's, let's, let's just talk this out as we, as we try to survive the desert. And if we make it on the other side, I'll baptize you like you're supposed to be baptized. And uh, I just think God's bigger than that. I think the form, the mode of baptism is important. Don't get me wrong. If it wasn't important, we wouldn't have invested years ago in a baptistry over there and the whole system to make that work. I think it's important. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been given as much detail as we have in the Scripture, and there wouldn't be as much historical record of it. But I think the, the more important thing isn't the mode so much as the meaning that you attach to your baptism. And when we lived, our family lived in Texas back in the mid to late 80s, and we had a pool in our backyard, and Drew and I would dunk each other every chance we got. But that's not a baptism. <laughs> I've been to summer camp. I've been in those huge water fights and been sufficiently sprinkled by water guns and balloons. That is not a baptism. I was at camp one year, and we took a girl down to the beach. She asked to be baptized. We went down to the beach. We immersed her in a spiritual uh, uh, ordinance with witnesses, and it was memorable, and I'm still talking about it 20-plus years later. And then that night, we had the water fight of water fights. Well, we didn't baptize everybody in the camp. We just, that one girl got baptized, the rest of us got soaked. It's the meaning that you attach to your baptism that makes it a baptism. So you, under, you understand what I'm saying? Neither form, neither form alone, whether it's sprinkling or, or immersion, constitutes a baptism. It's the meaning that you attach to it that gives it significance. So let's talk for a few minutes. What is the significance then? What is the meaning of baptism? Why do we even do this? Why did Jesus pick this up after John the Baptist? And why did he include it in his great commission to us? First of all, baptism is a sign of identification. <clears throat> when you come to be baptized in a Christian church, you are going public with Jesus Christ. It's out in the open now. You want everyone to know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And I love the, the, the use of, uh, of social media sometimes, and I, well, many, a lot of times I do. And I like what a lot of churches do. I mean, it used to be if you got baptized on a Sunday night at a church, it was only those 37 people that knew you ever got baptized. But now churches put pictures and video and all kinds of stuff in your story, your testimony, everything out on the Internet for everybody to see. Did we tell you about that, baptismal people? <laughs> We won't do that without your permission. The second thing that's an important part of baptism is, so it's a sign of identification, and then it's the symbolic death and resurrection. When a, when a person is baptized, they're saying, I have died to my old life. I have come alive to a new life in Christ. It's, a, it's symbolic of a change that has already taken place. Let's just sit there for a second, okay? Baptism is symbolic of a change that has already taken place. I think it was, I don't know if it was in Kidmo or if in what's in the Bible that we used to say, it's an outward expression of an inward connection. The third thing that is part of baptism is it represents a cleansing. It represents a cleansing, a washing away of sin. We don't, it's, it's a picture, all right? We don't believe it happens during baptism. There's nothing magical about the waters over there, all right? It's the same water that we wash our dishes with, all right? So it's nothing, it's not, there's nothing special there. It's a picture, It's a public expression of the fact that I've accepted Christ. My sins have been forgiven. My sins have been washed away. And in baptism, that is symbolized by going down into the water and coming back up. Now, let me tell you a couple, th- a couple things that it doesn't mean, okay? Baptism is not part of the salvation process. A person isn't saved when they're baptized. A person isn't saved because they're baptized. Baptism is a symbol on the outside of a change that has taken place on the inside. Remember when Jesus was crucified and he had two criminals on either side of him and, and one of them said, you know, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are and I remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and, and this is just minutes before his death and Jesus looks at the guy and he's like, sorry, you know, dude, it's too late. You've got to be baptized first. Remember that? Yeah, right. Uh, it's not exactly how it happened. And he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So, oh, and what about Jesus? Jesus was baptized, but he certainly didn't need to be saved from, he didn't need to be saved from anything. And, and there's no, there's no um, documentation of Jesus ever baptizing anybody. He might have baptized the apostles, but we don't know that for sure. Um, some historical record tries to make an argument for that. It's not in the scripture. Um, but all the baptizing that Jesus commissioned his disciples to do, his disciples did it. So it's like, wait a minute, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. So if salvation (coughs) and baptism are a package deal, then you would think that he would have baptized everything that breathed, you know? We don't know that he ever baptized anybody. Because baptism is an expression of something that's already taken place inside you. There's some verses of Scripture that if you just read them at their face value without considering the context and the original audience, they would seem to indicate on the surface that if you're not baptized, you're not saved. But that's not the case at all. It requires a little bit deeper study than just a surface reading and proof texting a few verses. So uh, if you're going to take your theology from a random verse here and there, I just want to caution you. Again, we call that proof texting. Don't take a verse of Scripture and build your theology around it. Get the whole story. So read the Bible. Another thing that baptism isn't, I mean, it's not enough to say, well, I read the whole book of Acts. I know I got all my doctrine for the New Testament church. No, you've got to kind of get the whole story. Another thing that that baptism isn't, 
It's not about joining a church. In some churches, baptism and church membership are very closely associated. And clearly that's not the way it is here because we don't even know how we do church membership here. I mean, we never know from one year to the next how we're doing church membership here. I mean, if, if, you come, if you've come in the last couple of years, you've probably uh, maybe once or twice heard us mention church membership. But church membership, we believe, is a cultural thing. Um, it's not a biblical mandate. It's not that the Bible's against it, but it's not a biblical mandate. Um, I don't think it's contrary to Scripture, but it's definitely not a requirement either. So there are pros and cons to the membership thing. And we've discussed this in the foundational years at Faith Community. We discussed it at great length with our elders. This whole thing about church membership, it's changed over the years. And at Faith Community, it'll probably change again in the future, and that's okay because you don't find the concept in Scripture, so it can change as, as we change. It's all right. Right now at Faith Community, you matter to us because you matter to God. And if you choose to worship with us and minister with us and serve with us and get connected with us and enter into a covenant with us, then you're part of us. And there you go. Welcome. You're all new members. Uh, We can have a conversation about that. But I just want to make it clear that a baptism at Faith Community Fellowship doesn't mean there you're in like Flynn. You are, uh, you just, you remember those concentric circles we talked about a couple weeks ago there. Now you're in. It's not that. So let's wrap this up. Here's the conclusion. Did mine count? Have I really been baptized? Let me answer that. And don't throw anything at me yet. You can come talk to me afterwards. That would be great. But if you were christened as a baby, then um, you haven't been baptized according to Scripture. And here's why. It's not about the mode. It's because you don't remember it. Oh, Oh, it was a very meaningful event for the people that remember it. For your parents and your grandparents and your pastor or priest and your family, it was a very meaningful event for them. You just don't remember it. You have a picture, but for the life of you, you can't remember it. Uh, Your parents may have even believed that by having you baptized as an infant, you became a Christian at that point. If I believed that, um, I would have had my children, you know, sprinkled as infants too. Uh, But your, your family, your parents, whoever were doing what they thought was right, what they'd been taught and what they'd seen in their church tradition, and it probably helped them focus on being better parents and setting a godly example for you. And I don't ever want to diminish the significance of your infant baptism, okay? That's why we dedicate babies, and that's how we kind of, we just call it a baby dedication in this church where it's kind of the same idea. We just don't attach salvation to it, okay? So here's the bottom line. Um, uh, to me, of why infant baptism isn't scriptural baptism. Because as a baby, it wasn't your decision. It was about a decision that your parents made on your behalf. And parents don't get to make spiritual decisions on behalf of their children. Wouldn't that be great if we could? But we simply can't make the baptism decision on behalf of anyone else because it's about a heart change that has already happened. And it's an outward expression of an inward heart change. It's about saying to the world that I want you to know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not a decision that can be made for you by somebody else. It's not about church membership. It's not about, you know, somehow I'm going to do this so I can become a Christian. It's about coming to a place in your life where you have trusted Christ, you've dedicated your life to Him, and now you want to say to your friends and family and anyone who will listen and who will watch you that I'm ready to go public with what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's what it means. It's identifying with Jesus. It's symbolic of the fact that you've died to the old way of life and you've come alive to a new way of life. It's symbolic of the belief that you have been washed by the blood of Christ and your sins have been washed away and your heart is clean before him. Um, actually, I want to pl- try to play a video here. And as those of you know who've been around church here for the last year, um, the, the bane of my existence for the last year has been that computer up there. So it seems like it really does its thing when um, I have a video 
So today I thought, hey, let's go for it and let's show five videos. So I skipped one inadvertently, but here's one I want to try to play. This is taken from um, our kids' ministry several years ago before uh, we've been using What's in the Bible. Before that, we used a, a curriculum called Kidmo featuring Johnny Rogers. And uh, Johnny Rogers is a real person. We got to meet him one time. And so he did some teaching in that series about baptism. And I want to pull like two minutes out of his teaching about baptism. Let's see if we can follow this, if it'll cooperate. Aaron, go. Baptism amplifies what Jesus has done. It shows people on the outside what God has done on the inside. If getting baptized is showing people on the outside what God has done on the inside, what has God done on the inside? You see, when Jesus died, he was buried in a tomb and he came back to life again. He was buried in a tomb and then he came back to life again. When we get baptized, usually someone's standing there with us and they take us and we get dunked under the water and then we come back out again. It's like taking a bath without the soap in your eyes. I remember one time when I was growing up, me and my two older brothers were out in the backyard playing. We're playing in the dirt, playing in the mud, getting all dirty and muddy. It was cool. Then it came time for us to go inside. We got to that back door, and there was my mom standing at the door with her hand out like this. You're not coming inside this house all dirty and muddy like that. Mom wouldn't let us in the house. We're too dirty and muddy. She said we had to clean up and wash off, get all the dirt off. Well, that's what we did. We washed up, got all the dirt off, and then Mom said, all right, you can come inside now. In our relationship with God, it's a lot like that. With sin in our heart and our life, God says, uh-uh, sorry, I can't have a friendship with you. You got sin in your life. Can't let you into heaven with that sin. That's what makes what Jesus did so important. When Jesus died on the cross and he was buried, he came alive again. And when he did that, He made a way for our sins to be washed away. So when we get baptized, we come up, it shows people on the outside that we've invited Jesus into our life and that he's washed away our sin. Now, does getting baptized take away our sin? No. It shows people on the outside what God has done on the inside. Not bad, huh? Yeah, he could squeeze a lot into two minutes. If you've been sitting here and you're not a Christian, you came today because someone you care about is getting baptized, they wanted you to be here today, or maybe you've been coming for a while and you're still asking questions and you're thinking, I don't know, I mean, I wasn't sure what to think about this at all, but this baptism thing is really getting on the borderline weird place, you know, and I I don't know, there's something, but there's something real about this whole thing. That's you. If you're not a Christian, I would love to help you take the next step. You're surrounded by people who would love to help you take the next step. Maybe you're not even sure what the next step is, but I, I would just encourage you to come talk with me after we finish up here in a little while and we dismiss everybody, and I'll be up here somewhere probably. I'll stay right up here so you can come talk to me. And use that Connect card in the, in the chair in front of you. Somewhere within arm's reach, there's a little white card. 
a place for you to fill out your uh, contact info as much as you want to give us and then indicate if you've made a decision of some kind, if you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus or to take the next steps in your faith, just indicate that and we'll get in touch with you and find a time we can sit down face to face. Maybe you're here and uh, that's where you've been for a while, but now you're ready to go public. Or maybe you aren't right now, but in a few minutes when you watch some of these bold Christ followers go through the baptismal waters, uh, we want you to watch with your physical eyes, but more importantly, we want you to watch with your spiritual eyes and listen with you in your spirit and just ask God, Lord, is there something that you are leading me to do? And if God's Holy Spirit tugs at you and you find that you're ready to go public with your faith, just come, I want you to come talk with us and we'll talk about the next step for you because maybe the next step for you is baptism. And we can talk about that. Here's what we're going to do. In just a few minutes, we're going to have a baptism. We're going to bring in the kids from Jammers and Surge. Uh, we're going to sing a couple songs and then we're going to turn our attention to the baptistry, which is right over there behind those curtains. And we're going to celebrate that. And then we're going to continue to worship together. I want to play a song that... Uh, this is an old African-American spiritual. Best I can tell, it was first published in, around eight, it was first published in 1867, but it may date back as far as the 1830s. The song was over 100 years old before it was ever recorded for the first time. It's not deep with significant content. Okay, most of the time I choose songs based on lyric. Um, I chose this song because I like it and because the melody is haunting. The vocal is... is just yeah and and the song has history and this particular video I came across the pictures are just amazing so uh so watch this as I went down in the river to pray studying about that good old way and who shall wear the starry crown good lord show me the way Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me. As I went down in the river to pray, 
down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way and who shall wear.